This is an emergency transmission from TV Cream. Hello, I'm Graham and this is TV Cream Stays Indoors. In this podcast, I send someone a link to an old TV show and then once they've watched it, I call them up to find out what they made of it. Today, I'm talking to Jill Fithian and I have an inkling that you are safely indoors in Walthamstow, North London. Am I right, Jill? That is absolutely correct. Good. Pleased to hear it. Jill, the video link I sent you was for the feature-length pilot episode of Manimal. which first aired on BBC One on Monday 4th of June 1984 at 10 to 7 in the evening. Now, before you'd even watched the show, what was your reaction to the choice? I was pleased with this choice. (laughs) What was your reaction to it? I was pleased with it as well. Um, I instantly felt like this was something that I would be able to uh, watch quite happily. Uh, I did watch it when it was originally on. I think I would have been 12 at the time. And uh, obviously, because it's got, let's say, a very memorable premise, (laughs) I did remember bits and pieces from it, but nothing very coherent. So this was kind of reminding myself of what it was actually like, as opposed to what the 12-year-old me managed to retain at the time. I mean, do you think it's there is a testament, isn't there, to having a very clear high concept which you can sum up in one portmanteau word, which is the title? Because I watched it too, and there was something drew us in. (laughs) Well, at that time, I would pretty much watch anything with a kind of vaguely sci-fi or fantasy element. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily keep watching it, but I was certainly willing to give anything a go that was available. Mm. And there was a lot less available at the time. So this seemed like a kind of fairly straightforward thing. And because it was kind of prime time and my parents were willing to put BBC One on, then (laughs) obviously it was a fairly easy one for me to, um, I wouldn't even say get into, but sit in front of for a small number of weeks because it didn't even last for very long. I like your distinction between get into and sit in front of. I think that might prove a valid distinction. Were you then, in that case, were you were you grazing on the likes of Automan, the Street Hawk? Airwall. Um, Night Rider. all these kind of quasi-superhero shows? Well, I watched the ones that appealed to me um, and that Automan was, I certainly watched as well. The ones that were kind of transportation-based like Street Hawk yeah. and Airwolf and Knight Rider didn't really have very much in them to appeal to me. They were a bit kind of, oh, this is the boys thing. Mm. And... Um, they, my brother watched them. My uh, two years younger than me brother watched them. Uh, so I was sort of vaguely exposed to them some of the time, but I really had no interest at all. Whereas it's not as if Manimal is a girly show, mm. but it's got slightly more appeal to a more mixed audience, I suppose, mm. because it, it's not as kind of like relentlessly kind of 
man-based, despite <laughs> the title. <laughs> <laughs> it's more mole-based, is that what you're trying to say? But yes. <laughs> that, 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 yes. yes, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, okay, here's your, here's your biggest challenge of our discussion, which is I want you to talk uh, uh, our listeners through, succinctly if possible, what happens in the episode, which is also just titled Manimal. Manimal. Right. This is a uh, tricky one. So this is the pilot episode and they have to set up the entire premise for the series. And the premise for the series is that there is a guy called Dr. Jonathan Chase, uh, played by Simon McCorkendale, who, for reasons that we will get into over the course of this discussion, has the ability to turn into various animals. And he uses these off his own bat, apparently, Mm. to... uh, fight crime official police business follow that cab you got it pal hop in and uh accompanying him there is a uh, female police officer mckenzie come back here that guy's got a machine gun and god knows what else uh called brooke mckenzie who's played by melody anderson Mm -hmm. and uh she fights crime being a police officer and so over the course of the episode, they meet up with each other. Please, don't shoot. I'm not armed. My God, there's a wild animal on the loose. You could have been killed. Well, then it seems that I owe you my life. As she starts to suspect that he, there might be more to him than meets the eye. And there certainly seem to be, like, random animals around when he's around that can't be explained by logical reasons. And eventually she finds out his secret. You know that I know. That you can. That I can turn into all manner of wild beasts in the still of the night. And they decide to fight crime together as uh, a uh, classic odd couple crime pairing. Don't think about that which you cannot do, but rather that which might become possible if you allow your imagination to run free. Just think of us together. Working. Yes. Mm. Yes. You and me together, the possibilities are endless. And all of these things happen within the framework of an extremely generic crime related plot. That, that all of the kind of beats of the pilot have been stapled to and sometimes kind of like nail gunned onto. These weapons should have quite an impact on our cause. I'm not interested in your cause, Mr. Saida, only in your money. I mean, they're, they're arms dealers. That's the gist of it, I think, isn't it? Yeah, the criminals in the episode are basically, they're in a, I think it's supposed to be a sewing machine factory or certainly they're... The lorries that they keep smuggling weapons in are from a sewing machine factory. Yeah. <laughs> that truck coming off the pier. Simpson sewing machines. Do you have anybody around here who makes deliveries this time of night? And they start off trading weapons and end up trading nerve gas, yep. I think. Because you have to um, escalate through an episode, don't yes, you? Yes, it, 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 it sort of escalates. And there's a little bit of toing and froing between various crime-related bigwigs. But I don't think you're actually supposed to care about any of that. It's really just an excuse for, you know, somebody to turn into a panther. There's a point of admin we uh, we need to deal with, which is Manimal is it's one of those odd shows where essentially, essentially that's the name of the character, but he's never referred to ever as, as Manimal. And they're not even really sure what to call him. Professor. JC. JC. 
he he sort of dabbles with JC or is he is he Jonathan or Chase? What are we calling him, Jill, for the sake of our discussion? Let's call him JC okay. because at least it's 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 brief and convenient. Yeah. But yeah, uh, he his name is Doctor Jonathan Chase. As it doesn't actually happen in the pilot episode, but if you, I then after I watched this episode, I fell down a bit of a YouTube hole and okay. watched a few of the bits and pieces from uh, Manimal History. And there's all the other episodes begin with a very brief kind of summary of who he is mm. and what he can do. Mm. Dr. Jonathan Chase, wealthy, young, handsome. Uh, and that calls him Dr. Jonathan Chase. Um, but uh, Brooke, the heroine, is ca- always calling him Professor, mm. even though his, his, his academic title appears to be Doctor, not Professor. <laughs> and he is constantly saying, no, no, call me JC. And the only other person who talks to him in the episode is his chauffeur slash friend slash ex-army buddy mm. who's called Ty. Mm. And he just calls him Man. I'm pulling for you, man. So <laughs> maybe Man is, is, not, is not just a kind of like random way to refer to people, but it's actually short for Manimal. <laughs> um, let's start with the basics. Do you like the underlying concept of Manimal, that here is a fellow who can turn into animals and he's going to use that uh, as part of his uh, war on crime. Well, it's certainly got originality on its side. So it appeals in that sense and it appealed uh, back in the day when I was first watching it. But watching it back now, uh, the, the major question is, if you want to fight crime, why are you doing it this way? Yeah. <laughs> because there's a very limited amount of things, a very limited number of benefits can be gained in a kind of um, crime situation uh, from being able to turn into a very limited number of animals. I mean, when he's a kind of hawk, yeah. he has um, presumably supervision and super hearing, although he also seems to have super hearing when he's a normal human being yeah. as well as a sort of side effect of his powers. And when he's a panther, he sort of vaguely sneaks around inside warehouses looking for the bad guys and trying to work out what they're doing. But you'd probably be able to do that as a much smaller animal. I suppose if he turned into a kind of rat or something, it wouldn't be particularly impressive. No. And somehow they've uh, splurged the budget on getting a kind of panther wrangler involved and, and shooting lots of kind of footage of panther, a panther running around in a warehouse that they can then cut into other situations. Yeah. So they, they're kind of stuck with that now as the kind of... Uh, object, but it, it it is a bit weird. The more you kind of, the more I watched the show, the more I started to think about the life of Jonathan Chase, and uh, it really didn't seem to make a great deal of sense at all. Basically, it's quite difficult to work out what what he is supposed to do for a living, mm. even mm. because he's introduced as a police consultant. Here's a guy does consulting work for us. Um, and yet he seems to be a sort of nebulously wealthy kind of playboy type who wanders around in a tux for no reason. Mm. So he's clearly got money. Mm. But he also 
lectures at the university in the police sciences department, if that is even a thing. Patterns of animals are based on instincts. It feels like they sort of dished out the script to maybe 20 different writers in terms of, can you do these five minutes, you do these five minutes. They didn't have sight of what the other one was doing. They were told he was a doctor and he has a police connection and they just had to kind of work with that. Because you're quite right, it's very inconsistent. Yes, I think you might have something there. I have a feeling that um, a lot of those kind of action-adventure series of that era had a lot of the same writers moving about between them and presumably they would regurgitate generic plot lines quite a lot. Mm. And then somebody who actually worked on the show more frequently would kind of come up with a few bits and bobs that were specific to the premise of that particular show and kind of tack them on there in uh, a kind of order that made some vague kind mm. of sense. Mm. It's it's a sort of, seems to be a weird product of how that kind of TV was being made at that time, mm. which was kind of in the kind of factory, let's just get on with it, sort of extruded television product. It's rather than... <laughs> rather than something that's being kind of carefully made. Yes. Um, so, uh, woolly is perhaps a word, and I'm not trying to say that as, a, as an animal pun, but there are lots of things that are woolly about this. So, um, And things that you have alluded to, for example, we don't really know what his powers are, do we? As you say, sometimes he seems to have uh, animalistic abilities when he is in human form. Uh, we don't really know the extent of what he can transform into. One essentially comes away from this episode thinking he can be a panther, a hawk and a snake and has excellent hearing. Uh, it's it's a slightly all over the shop, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. And uh, at the very end of this episode, he becomes a shark as well. <laughs> yes. Just so they can do a kind of Jaws joke to end the whole thing on. Yeah. As, um, well, as I both recall from watching it originally and from kind of looking into it after having watched this episode um it was never defined much more than that right a hawk and a panther was were his kind of two go-to yeah. uh transformations because they'd clearly they'd filmed the kind of transformation special effect sequences which is why you get those a lot yeah uh, in this pilot episode you only really get the panther sequence But you get it about five times yeah. and then twice in reverse yeah. in various degrees of detail. <laughs> if they'd kind of like cut it out, then the whole thing would have been like half the length. It was yeah. quite, it's, it really, really is kind of desperately trying to make the most of the money they'd, they'd piped into that. And then... Um, if you watch kind of uh, bits of other episodes, the, the hawk sequence also appeared a lot. And there was one episode that involves him turning into a snake right. for the most ridiculous of reasons. Help me. It, 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 he basically so they can use him as a rope to pull Brooke out of some quicksand. <laughs> <laughs> the most utilitarian change he's ever done, isn't it? It's like... <laughs> Oh, you yeah. know, draft excluder, that would be handy. Or could you reach up to that shelf? Yeah. <laughs> As I say, you see a, a shark very briefly in this one yeah. and, a, and a, a domestic cat 
Oh, yes. Uh, again, for a very, very sort of jokey scene where he gets to kind of see Ursula Andress uh, in the nip and uh, put his head in her dressing gown and get a bit of a flash of her yes. villainous boobs. <laughs> what happened? You all right? Yes, I'm sorry. I was startled. Someone's cat got into my apartment and scared the daylights out of me. Uh, well, well, I've got a few things that come to mind about this. Well, number one, you, you, were, you were talking about the laboured transformation scenes. Now, I say this without any kind of um, sarkiness. I sort of think it's acceptable to build a show around that sort of a format point, because certainly when I was a kid, when I watched Manimal, all I was thinking was, when is he going to do a transformation scene? Like when you watch The Hulk... When is his eye going to do that thing? And so that's valid, isn't it? Because that is actually, it's a peak, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's basically the, the whole raison d'etre of the show is mm. that. Um, it's just that it's because it's been very restricted um, by presumably budget concerns that you have to have the same thing again and again. Mm. And out of repetitiveness, <laughs> it's often exactly the same footage yeah. again and again and yeah. again. That, that that is kind of cheapening it quite, quite considerably. But, you know, and they clearly they've put a lot of kind of thought. Uh, that That's clearly where any budget that they had for Manimal went into those effect sequences, which I don't know what they were, how they were considered at the time. Um, I think they were probably considered to be relatively impressive. And the guy mm. who did them, Stan Winston, went on to be, uh, you know, work on a load of um, impressive films like Terminator mm. and Jurassic Park. Mm. But, I mean, now it looks extremely laboured. And they had made, every time he turns into a panther, for example, there's a long sequence of kind of faces that are sort of built up, yeah. starting from Simon McCorkadell's normal face. And then a kind of version where he's got extra flared nostrils and his eyebrows are sort of starting to bulge outwards. And sort of pulsing. And then, you know, hair starts to be covered on his face. His, his ears extend and, and, and he gets black fur and his hands go all sort of bubbly and paw-like. Uh, and then my favourite, favourite bit of the transformation sequences is that every time you see his hand as he turns into a panther, there is one stage where it basically becomes a kind of fluffy black mitten with kind of like little tiny claws yes, that yeah. pop out of the yeah. end, <laughs> which is like a, like a brilliant novelty mittens idea for Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if it was prosaic as Glenny Larson had seen American Werewolf in London. And he thought, oh, how do they do that? And then if we could do that, that could be a great show. Yes, I think definitely American Werewolf was the kind of um, the gold standard at the time for kind of doing a kind of physical transformation sequence. Mm. Is it convenient over dramatic sense of the fact that we get just a very vague approximation idea of how he maybe came by his powers? Journal of Jonathan Chase. Experiments in transformation. The incredible secrets uncovered by my father and passed on to me finally reached fruition in Cambodia in 1972. 
How did he get his powers, Jill? <laughs> I can tell you because I have seen the the introductory sequence that uh, comes at the beginning of all the episodes that are not the pilot, uh, which basically shows that he got them from his dad. Heir to his father's legacy and the world's darkest mysteries. There, there was a very kind of like weird brief sequence of his dad dying and a little boy who's presumably him kind of standing over him. Right. His dad disappears and his clothes are sort of fall empty on the bed that he's lying on mm. and then you see a hawk flying in the sky so either his dad died or his dad's spirit went off to be a hawk forever and he kind of inherited the powers or he his dad somehow acquired the powers okay. and um sort of he studied them it's very very difficult you're not sounding very definitive here jill I thought you had the answers and this seems more like more flannel. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> Oddly enough, I've tried to dig deep into the canon of this and all I can find is flannel. Okay. Um, they, they kind of, they, and the other thing about the um, standard introductory sequence is that it kind of mentions From Africa's deepest recesses to the rarefied peaks of Tibet. Like those things are somehow relevant. Yeah. <laughs> so I think however he got his powers presumably involved some sort of weird colonialism mm. kind of oppression of people who probably thought of how to make these things happen in the first mm. place. Some sort of weird metaphor that we don't want to kind of like dig too yeah, deep into because no. otherwise you would start thinking, you know that the so-called hero of this programme is actually just a big old creep. I, well, there, I, I, I want to talk about some of his creepier aspects as well as we go along. But um, you mentioned, I mean, it's mainly a panther, and I think we both feel that they, they clearly got some big cats and did a few kind of stock things with them. But it does mean then that throughout, the cats mostly always, all the animals just always appear in a cutaway, don't they? The weirdest feeling all night. Like what? Like... Someone's watching us. Something's going on. Cut away to a cat. Yes. Back to the warehouse. It, does it work? Do they get away with it? Mm, uh, well, they probably got away with it when I was 12. Mm. Uh, but it, it was. it is very noticeable that there are never, and the rest of the cast never appear mm. in any of the Panther cutaway scenes. Mm. Occasionally, you see a pair of legs wearing somebody else's trousers, which <laughs> presumably belong to the Panther Wrangler, yeah. uh, sort of running, <laughs> running along behind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if any any major TV show, even minor TV show, since since Manimal has ever had a panther wrangler, yeah. but clearly the panther wrangler was quite a major part of this. The performance from the panther at times is pretty good. I'm sure there's a scene where it even does a double take. The panther is seriously impressive. Actually, they get quite good acting out of all of the animals mm. because um, th there's a scene involving a snake. Okay, I'll get your money. Okay. The snake's on into money. Yeah. What are, what are snakes into? And the snake isn't even Jonathan Chase. The <laughs> snake is just a random snake, snake that he's got his friend Ty to take around to a uh, bad guy's house in order to sort of threaten him into confessing something or other. While it's r sort of writhing about doing that hooded threatening thing that cobras do, uh, Brooke walks in. Lady, are you crazy? Get out of here. Who killed my partner? Lady, shut your mouth. I'm just barely in control of this thing. So she comes into the room and sees the snake and goes, <gasps> and then there's a shot of the snake facing the direction that she's come mm. in going, <gasps> <laughs> I think 
they just moved where the camera was relative to the snake and it looked like it was reacting. But it's quite it is it is quite a clever use of, you know, their limited resources. Yeah. Um you mentioned her then. Um Paul Brooke. Uh it's a Melody Anderson who probably best known as Dale Arden from Flash. Yes indeed, yes. Um she's our point of view character. Is it a good role for her, do you think? Do you, had she done well to get this, do you think? This is the only thing that isn't Flush Gordon that I ever remember her being in. And certainly I was already a quite a big Flush Gordon fan when this came on. Um, I, because videos were not a thing, uh, or not in our house back in those days, uh, we had the novelisation of Flush Gordon. And I had already read it about <laughs> 17 times by this point. So I was really quite into it, as you could be. Um, so I was well disposed towards her, let's put it that way. And these uh, shows are not kind of great for female characters, but at least she's there. Mm. She's relatively sensible. She is quite proactive. It sounds like damning it with faint praise, mm. but in terms of kind of representation of women in 80s primetime American TV it could be a lot worse really it's all right and she's quite kind of perky and uh you know amenable uh and you know there's nothing particularly offensive about her that's about as much as you can say really isn't it but what was the phrase you use there she's relatively sensible because she goes off Jill and I don't want to challenge you too hard on this but she goes off (laughs) An unauthorised mission. She infiltrates a warehouse full of ammunition and she inadvertently blows the whole thing up. We got her! She ain't going anywhere! Let's get out of here! This whole place is gonna go up! That didn't really feel like a a good outcome. No, it's not not sensible at all, is it? I was entirely... I was just making making up her sensibleness. I was that was I was wishing that she was sensible, and actually, there's no textual support for that assumption whatsoever. <laughs> but she's not a chump. She, within the fiction of the show, she's not a chump, is she? He never has. The, JC doesn't have the upper hand on her, does he? Intellectually or in any way? Yeah, exactly. And there are a few points where he's trying to make her sort of believe or do something, or she she goes. No, I won't. Yeah. And then he'll kind of go, okay, yeah, we'll do it yeah. your way, sort of thing. So he, it's not, it's not him always getting his way. They're yeah. kind of, you know, both allowed to um, yell at each other. And I suppose it's fair to say, isn't it? Basically, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, if she is ever stupid, it's only because she's in a stupid show. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. She's not. She's she's not meant to be stupid. We're not meant to watch her thinking. Mm. What an idiot. Mm. <laughs> uh, she's she's meant to be sensible. Do I get to go to the head of the class? Well, actually, I normally ask my bright students to stay after class. Special assignment? Something like that. We were talking about that JC potentially is a little creepy, and this show certainly does come from a time where our lead character can happily be depicted as a sexual predator. Back in the day, that was what was that roguishness, character, fun? Yes, I'm. I'm guessing that what they were going for was a kind of Bond-like roguishness, but it does just come across as being a you know creepy old perv. And how did I get in this bed? Well, I carried you, of course. Especially the fact that he is not only gratuitously undressed uh, Brooke and put her in one of his dressing gowns uh, in his own bed, 
um, when all that had happened to her previously was she'd seen a stake and fainted. So it wasn't as if she was even injured or <laughs> required medical treatment in any way. It's just, oh, here's an unconscious woman. Well, I will take her clothes yeah. off. <laughs> and and then he tries to like basically roofie her because he gives her a, a drink and a and a pill and kind of goes, Oh, oh have this and, and then you'll go to sleep and then you'll forget all about me kind mm. of thing. Mm-hmm. In a kind of forget about his secret is the mm. uh, the sort of underlying uh, idea. Mm. But it, it just it just looks like being a sexual predator in that scene she then sneaks around his house i wonder what you thought about his kind of interior design particularly he he's made a design choice at some point hasn't he where he saw um where do i want my release the panther button i'm gonna have it on the same bank of controls as my light switches yes that that is that is the most brilliant thing about his interior (laughs) is that he has the release the panther button right next to the desk clamp. Yeah. <laughs> it's just handier there. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I mean, and presumably he, he knows what he's doing, so he's not going to poke the wrong one. Yeah. And people who randomly stu- stumble into his study, um, the, you know, it's fine. I think that there is also a question about, so, yeah, he's a guy who can turn into a panther, but he also has a panther in his house, yeah. which is not him. It's not like a house he goes, uh, you know, a room he goes and lives in when he is being a panther. Yeah. It is just another panther yeah. and therefore not kind of relevant to the plot at all. But there it is. I mean, is that because he wants the company? <laughs> is it because... It's so he can practice turning into one in a kind of anatomically accurate fashion. <laughs> what what is it there for? It's worrying. It's just there. Yeah. <laughs> when all of these things that we're talking about, the panther, his kind of sexual proclivities, and it's a nighttimey show as well. I think night is somehow linked to his powers. We sometimes see the full moon. But I suppose what I'm trying to get at is there's also this element of international crime, of sophisticated people. There's glamour. There's fur coats. This is why I thought it would you you, you would adore this, Jill. But how how does it do on the glamour quotient? <laughs> it's the glamour is like many other things in the show a bit perfunctory. Mm. Um, that clearly, again, as you said, the it's the kind of Bondesque roguishness and going to nightclubs and uh yeah hanging around uh with kind of lots having lots of artworks from um exotic locations in your house um all of those things are supposed to sort of say sophistication but they don't really have the kind of money to pull them off yeah because uh you know jc's abode is full of kind of beige carpeting and wicker which is not particularly <laughs> glamorous in my book i mean one of the other elements of glamour i thought and it's it's all it does all feel a bit like it's um you sent your mum out to buy glamour and she's she's come back with what she thinks is glamour and it's the own brand version so there's the bit where he's pretending to be a high-class waiter and he's flambéing cherries jubilee. jubilee for two if you please and how would you have it jailed flambéed, please? <laughs> At table. <laughs> I mean, I wondered if he, um, they'd cast Simon McCorkendale. I wonder if he was kind of coming in the slipstream of Joan Collins arriving in Dynasty. So take this junk and your blonde tramp 
and get out of my home. Do you think at that, that point in US telly, they thought you get a Brit in, you get cut glass? I think that at that time, uh, importing uh, someone British and, and having that kind of British accent mm. alert in the middle of, uh, you know, lots of generic Americans was supposed to be a kind of shortcut to exoticism and sophistication. I think not even, uh, I, I thought not so much of Joan Collins, although presumably she's the er example mm. of that. But I think that more specifically, um, they must have cast Simon McCorkendale as a sort of um, available version of Pierce Brosnan. Because mm. this was the same kind of time that Remington Steele was out and that was a successful series of the day with a sort of similar-ish, although without the fantasy element, kind of uh, odd couple fighting crime um, plot. And so it's like, oh, posh English guy. Although Pierce Brosnan's Irish, I think. Mm. Uh, this show is popular. Let's, let's just get a posh English guy and then we can be like that too. So I think there was a kind of Me Too element in the casting. And it, it was in the same era that kind of Christopher Kazanov was getting a lot of work mm. and people like that. At that time, they wanted people to be as kind of stuffily English in a kind of like, yes, let's suggest posh sophistication mm. and uh, uh, that'll do and that'll make us kind of exotic and interesting mm. way. And, and, and he was another one in that line. It's like he came off the same conveyor belt. think as well potentially there's a kind of an Alec Guinness in Star Wars thing where they think it just makes it look a bit legitimate we can you know get away with this old shit if we get it coming out of Simon's mouth it sounds like <laughs> pure gold I don't think it's quite it, it quite works that way because you don't have the kind of um it's not the same as having Patrick Stewart on Star Trek mm. it, it's not it's not that kind of classy actorishness mm. it's just generic posh Brit. <laughs> People who follow you on Twitter, Jill, they're going to be aware that you uh, sometimes do cartoons of characters from favourite TV shows. You might be able to see where I'm going here. Um, you can consider this a plea if you wish, or maybe it's just a general inquiry. <laughs> might Brooke and JC be admitted to your club, do you think? Um, the The correct answer to that question is, Although I can imagine what they would look like if I did draw them, mm. I don't actually think I'm going to bother doing it because okay. I don't think anybody really cares enough apart from you and me. Okay. And then not even me that much. <laughs> <laughs> and probably not even you that much. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> this is the longest thing that I've asked anybody to watch for this podcast. What was it? It was about 75 minutes. It's a US 90 minute show. It's a long thing. Yes. How did it fit into your day? Um, it fitted in quite pleasantly between my um, lockdown baking mm -hmm. and my um, state mandated daily walk, mm. really. Mm. <laughs> and then when I came back from my state mandated daily walk, I'd had a few thoughts about it and wrote them down. So that was quite good. And then I started to fall down a YouTube hole looking up other clips from Animal, <laughs> trying to find out as much about it as I could. Because <laughs> I think it's safe to say we both think, without kind of minting our words, it's quite crap. But I also found it very easy to watch. Yes, yeah, yeah. It is. It was. It was pleasant enough. It's. It is. You know, 
complete nonsense in uh, every way. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, just just complete fiddlesticks. But um, it's very easy to watch. And basically, even if you're a bit bored, you're never more than, you know, five minutes away from the next shot of a black fluffy mitten with little claws poking out of it. So, you know, your next laugh's always guaranteed. <laughs> so... We're talking now, it's late June as we're talking. Things are changing in, in terms of the situation, what's going on. I mean, how are you finding life then during these, these strange times? Um, it's all right. Uh, my situation is, you know, very fortunate compared to loads of people. And um, because I'm working at home, my life continues much as normal, apart from the fact that I'm not able to eat out as much, so I'm forced to cook all the time. So I do a lot of cooking and thinking about recipes. But apart from that, it's much the same. And all the hanging around on the internet is exactly the same as it would normally be. So that's all right. Thank you, Jill, for watching Manimal, and thank you for talking to me about it. Now, stay indoors. (laughs) 